And if you have your Bibles or bulletins, uh, turn with me to Psalm 27. And the bulletin is the, the printed out passage and some questions to help you uh, go through. And I want to give an introduction to what our theme is going to be in August. Because one of our patterns or rhythms we're trying to get into is every summer, look at one of the key practices and things you need for restoration and renewal. So one of our goals at the church for you is that you'll experience the transforming power of the gospel in your life. And if you're going to experience it, the gospel, what it is, is on the one hand, it's good news, it's truth. There's things you need to know. So you, there's sound doctrine. But then the gospel is more than just truth or news. It's power. And you need to be refreshed and renewed and restored. And then it's also a way of living. It's life. You have to live faithfully. So to experience his power, there's, you have to have sound doctrine, renewal of the Holy Spirit, faithful living. And every summer we try and focus on something that will help us uh, experience that renewal. And in August, our theme is going to be launching off. We're going to look at multiple psalms that pick up the theme from Psalm 27.4 and Psalm 27.8, where the Lord, the Lord has said to us, seek my face. And then we respond, my heart says, your, <laughs> your face, O oh Lord, will I seek. And uh, so that's going to be our theme. And, you know, organizationally this summer uh, and th this past uh, spring, you know, it's a great opportunity for us as a church, as the leadership of the church, organizationally, just kind of reassess how we're doing. How are we moving forward? How are we doing things? How can we reshape our church to kind of accomplish what God is calling us to do? Kind of had a series of um, some turnover and staff turnover. And today... Our children's director, Emily, this will be her last Sunday with us, and we wanted to call her in and bring her up and thank her and pray for her, but uh, she felt more comfortable being out there with the kids, so we'll brag on her behind her back, and then when we're done, you can go express your uh, thanks for her, but I'm so grateful for her because she came in where we were trying to get things back uh, going and just showed a lot of energy and initiative when it was really needed and kind of rallied the team together and forged a cohesive team and just did a great job uh, building that up and she wanted to express how grateful she was for her time here and what she uh, learned and feel free to reach out with her uh, if you want to just uh, have any questions about what she'll be doing and Rachel Lutons will be kind of stepping into to that space and that's why this meeting in our house in a couple weeks for parents or for anyone interested in volunteering is so important because I'm going to kind of rally together and talk about where we're going to be moving as a church and with the children's ministry and it's a great time just to think all right well like what do kids need like what do they need to grow? What type of structures? How can we provide them? And just, what do you need? What do we need to grow and thrive in the world? And what does this church need? What does this community need from us? And as we look at Psalm 27 and verse 4, one thing that I've asked, there's one thing above everything else that we need, that is, is I have asked for, and that's your presence, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord 
and to inquire, meditate, to seek him in his temple. So that's going to be our theme all August, and we're going to give a little intro appetizer now. And it's picking up on one of those major themes running all throughout the Psalms where God calls his people to seek my face, come into my presence. Who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And David cries out, you know, I, I'm, it's a dry and weary land where there is no water. And uh, he says, you know, like the deer that pants for the river stream, so my soul, it pants for you. And it's this theme that runs all throughout the Psalms. And so maybe that image of like a deer panting for water doesn't quite connect with you. But maybe you can think about it, because remember, you maybe think deer, don't think like Appalachian Mountains, wilderness. Think desert. Maybe think dog in Florida summer. We have a, well, she's about 65-pound Labradoodle, but 35 of those pounds is just black hair. And, uh, I mean, she gets outside this time of year, and she gets to about the mailbox and just looks up and says, please have mercy, I am done, and just starts panting. And when you see that, kids, that can be a trigger. When you see it, like, your soul was made to pant after God. Like, the dog is panting and needing water. And then David says, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And so this is a theme. And so what the psalm is going to do is it gives us the full range of human emotions and experiences. It touches on the full range of joys and sorrows and hopes and fears and our confidence and our doubts and our victories and our defeats. And as you pray the psalms into your heart and as you practice them into your life, you'll experience the presence of God. And it'll change you. It'll change you. So you look at this psalm, Psalm 27. Pull up, uh, Cody, pull up the structure. Oh, you already got it. Way to go. All right, so look at the structure, and we'll just kind of move through it so you can see the movement. But there it begins in verse 1. This is the theme. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So that's setting the theme. David is in a context in which fear is magnified. Fear is amplified. And he's, there's things that's causing him to be afraid. But the Lord is his light, his salvation. He will not be afraid. That's the theme. Now in 2 through 3, he's going to move into hypothetical trouble. Evildoers assail me. They eat up my flesh. My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy a camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Even if this happens, like a whole army can be encamped against me. Like, could you imagine an entire army, an entire country, their entire military force is not making war on your country. They're making war just on you. So the whole army can encamp against me. Evildoers, they want to eat up my flesh but it's they who will stumble and fall. I will still be confident. Hypothetical. Then four through six, notice his location. Where do I want to be? And listen to the location language. Here's one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high 
upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So notice his location, where he's going to be. This is where I want to be. I want to dwell in his house, in his temple, in his shelter, in his tent, in his tent. And then notice the longing in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And so this is his longing. I want to see your face. You have said, seek my face. And it's your face, O Lord, that I seek. Now in 10, he moves into not hypothetical trouble. This is actual. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So abandoned by father and mother, surrounded by false witnesses. That's the army, people slandering, attacking, betraying, breathing out violence. And then his resolution. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So you notice this whole movement. You know, oft, some of these words are pretty familiar, but you can often miss the context of the song. You know, it begins in fear and it ends in betrayal and in the middle is beauty. I want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. You think, how does that happen? And one of the problems with the Psalms, like some of we can miss the context of what's being sung. I mean, David's in a context where the fear is real. The anxiety is present. The journey is difficult. And he wants the beauty. In verse 2, he's under physical threat. In verse 10, he's under relational threat. Don't miss what the, the, the context this past week, my five-year-old, I caught him and he was standing outside his room and uh, he was saying pretty um, aggressively to his sisters, he was going, I don't want to see your face no more, baby, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> and Adonna, I had never realized that that song was a breakup song. <laughs> Like all the time. So if you have no idea what song that is, then congratulate yourself. You've lived a healthier life. But the, when he said, and I asked, are, are those the real words to that song? She's like, yeah. It's like, that's a breakup song. He's like, uh, the name is Bye Bye Bye. <laughs> Not complicated. So, huh, never dawned on me. And so, like, you can hear these songs, and they can just kind of be background music and not realize, ah, this is what is, what's happening. Maybe I should have thought twice when it was dedicated to me in middle school. <laughs> so the context is, he's in this context where he's being attacked. Fear is real. Anxiety is real. Journey, difficult, under physical threat, under relational threat. Jerry Colonia in his book, Reboot, says there's three primal things that every human needs, safety, belonging, and love. And David is in, under threat of losing all three of those. So what does he cry out for? What does he seek? I want to key in on just verse 4 and 8. And first notice the longing of his heart in verse 4. One thing. 
There's one thing have I asked of the Lord. He goes after that one thing, and it's not a change of circumstances. It's not reconciliation with his parents. It's not the defeat of his enemies. It's not the vindication of his name and his cause. It's the one thing. It's to get my heart into a place where I will not fear. Verse 3. And when that comes, my heart will take courage, verse 14, and it's because of his presence. I will see his face. I will enter into his presence. And you think about heart over and this is heart language. And heart is not just, we think of heart primarily as the seat of emotions, but the biblical world, you think the heart was like the command center for your life. You know, like C.S. Lewis's book, Men Without Chest. That doesn't mean men who aren't like doing cable flies in the gym. What it means is men do have courage. That's why it connects in verse 14. Because my heart is right, I will have courage. I will have grit. I will be able to endure, be able to keep going. And notice the heart is seeking after. In verse 8, uh, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says, your face, O Lord, I seek. You know, we were made, our souls were made to seek his face. You know, one of the things we've been studying this past year has been in, intriguing to learn, you know, the different dynamics from uh, attachment theory and parenting. And if you've ever, you can go down this uh, YouTube rabbit hole, so I'll get you started with this video. But you can look up videos called the still face. And it's child development places, one specifically in Harvard in their behavioral development department for the last 35 years. They've been doing these different still face experiments with uh, primarily mothers and their children. So pull up the video, and this is one of the doctors explaining that. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying oh, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. Yeah. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. 
here. And what are you doing? Oh, yes. Oh, what a big girl. It's a and so physically, you were made for the smile of a face of one who knows you and loves you and brought you into the world and your soul the same. It was made for the smile of your father. And when you don't get it, the word they use, you become dysregulated. And sin has dysregulated everything. And so that's what we were made for. But the bad news is our hearts, our hearts were made for the face of the Lord. But the bad news is sin has entered into the world and it's broken them. You know, your heart now is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Romans 1 says that, uh, the, that their foolish hearts became darkened. Like the psalm will say, it's the fool, he says in his heart, there is no God. The atheism is not a, co a cognitive thing, it's a heart thing. And what Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's even worse than just being darkened, we're spiritually dead. So our hearts were made to cry out, but spiritually, they're dead. And man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so we can be really good at uh, sprucing up the outward appearance, but Lord, he knows and he can see and he looks at the heart. That's the bad news, but the good news is that God wants to give you a new heart. And the glory of the new covenant is he sends his spirit to bring our dead hearts back to life. And Jesus died so we can live. And so we can be given the gift of the new heart. And David begins to kind of reach out just like that infant grasping. Please don't leave. Look in verse uh, 7. Hear me. My heart says to you, your face, I say, don't turn away in anger. You have been my help. Don't forsake me. Don't cast me off. He begins to reach out. And so the next thing, the location of his presence. How can we find his face? How can we have our heart renewed so we can seek it? You know, verse 4, there's three things that we'll unpack more in August, but there's kind of three verbs that what does it mean to seek his face? What are you going to have to do? And there's three things you dwell, then may dwell in the house of the Lord, may gaze upon his beauty, and inquire at his temple. So first, I dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, this is calling for something that's more than like a physical spot, but it's not less. I mean, David had the tabernacle and the tent where the Lord would meet with his people, and he had the ark. So he knew of these two places. In the tabernacle, there would be sacrifices, and there was an altar. So you had altar and ark. Ark is where the word was, and God's presence was. Altar is where the blood is spilled to purify us, so we can come into his presence. And he knew, like, we have these two things, and wherever they are, I want to be. I want to be in his house, in his temple, in his shelter, in his tent. He's asking for the unbroken presence of the Lord. But at the very basic, you have to come into his presence where he is. You have to do things like attend, attend worship. You, know, you can understand maybe for a five-year-old like Mason who's running around saying freedom. But the sad thing is that reflects... A lot more, uh, I was going to say, his, it, it reflects the feelings of a lot of the adults that are around him, too. I was reading recently on Barna, they've adjusted their sort of their, how do you raise resilient Christians? And they've had to adjust 
since COVID their definition of a regular church attender. So to, to be categorized in their survey as a regular church attender, you need to attend once a month. So one time a month gets you counted as regular. And you think like, like, is there any relationship that matters to you that you could say, I'm committed to it for about one hour a month, but it's really important? It's like, oh, I love my wife, but uh, we schedule, we talk once a month. I mean, once a month. And that's regular, that's good, that's celebrated. It's like we have the, the, the bar of mediocrity is so low. You can be considered a saint if you come twice a month. But dwell. You have to be there. He wants to be there. Sometimes you'll hear people kind of like my generation will talk about the way their parents oppress them and say, oh, they drug me to church. I practically live there. Like, congratulations. Like, you got to experience what David, the king of Israel, longed for. Way to go. Thank them. Dwell. But then notice the second thing, to gaze. What do you do when you're there? It's gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze upon his beauty. In verse 8 and verse 9, they unpack that. What does it mean to seek his face? To gaze. And that's the goal. To catch a vision of the glory of God. Especially you read throughout church history, and for 1,800 years, whenever you hear the word talking about vision, it's talking about the vision of seeing God. Like that's why we exist, to see him and to behold him and to be transformed in his likeness as we see him in his glory and in his beauty. And you think our hearts, your hearts were made to respond and to be tuned to beauty. It's why it moves us. Leonard Bernstein, the great pianist, says that he knows, how does he know God exists? He says, because Beethoven exists. I hear the remnants of God when I hear Beethoven. There has to be a God to, so if someone could create something that beautiful. Is I want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. And when you do that, notice the things that happen to you. Look in verse 6. What happens is, is then my head shall be lifted up. The problem with sin is it turns us, it curves us in on ourselves, and we become twistedly turned in. But gazing at the Lord's beauty lifts our head up. John Piper says no one goes to the Grand Canyon to raise their self-esteem. You go for other reasons. To see something majestic and beautiful. And then verse 13, notice what it does when you gaze upon the beauty. Beauty, then I can wait for the Lord. I can wait in hope. I can wait in confidence. It, gives you empower, it empowers you to wait. Simone Weil said there's two things that penetrate the human heart. is beauty and affliction. And these are the two things that get, get in. And I just wonder, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe the reason why people only come once a month is because they're just not, not tasting the beauty of the Lord. And maybe that's our fault for not presenting it in a more beautiful, powerful way. I mean, do you think about it? How many, like how many times, I mean, how many times have you ever said, somebody asked, all right, what'd you do this weekend? You said, oh, it was unbelievable. I hung out in an elementary school cafeteria, sat in plastic chairs, and gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. I mean, I don't know many people today who are driving to all the fun places they go and are driving past church parking lots and thinking, man, I, I wonder uh, what they're, they're gazing at the beauty of the Lord right now. I wish I could be in there. And so, but that's what's supposed to happen. 
You think, all right, how can that happen in the world? One of the things, a pressing need of the hour, I think, is more beauty. You know, just see, even though the kind of public displays are just marked by a certain, I don't know how to describe it, just a lack of beauty. You can see in architecture, just look out in the world. Where, where did all the beautiful buildings go? Now, our church in Alabama, the church was built in 1900, it was a beautiful building. 1979, it burned down and the church and community rallied and wanted to rebuild it. But they actually couldn't. Not because they didn't have the resources, but we didn't have the craftsmen in the town who could build it with the same beauty and the skill. So even architecture, world of big boxes, big box church. You know, we don't want to be in an uh, elementary school forever. But one of our goals when we do, uh, hopefully if the Lord blesses, to build a building, one of my not requirements, but one of the things I'm going to push is that we'll build a church that looks like a church and is not confused for like a Best Buy or a Ross or, you know. I mean, if we have to, we have to, but, you know, uh, where's all the beauty? You know, people travel the world to go to places like the Louvre to look at beauty. And David's going to come into the presence and behold. I'm reading this fascinating book by a Greek Orthodox priest uh, named Timothy Petitus. He's Greek, so I don't know if I pronounced his name right, but he's an Orthodox priest and he specializes in dealing with trauma victims, especially through the uh, uh, wars that have happened in Central Europe. And he uh, studied under Jonathan Shea, and Jonathan Shea was one of the leading uh, physicians who dealt with soldiers returning from Vietnam who experienced uh, PTSD, kind of on a scale, almost unrecorded. So he uh, spent a lot of time dealing with so soldiers who experienced PTSD from Vietnam. And this is what Jonathan Shea says. says uh, he said, you know, our strategies of trying to help them deal with their trauma just did not work. And in many cases, not only did it not work, it made things worse. He says, the mere intellectual retelling of the traumatic experience by the patients led to an epidemic of suicides among them. See, we thought if we could just get them home, get them to just talk it out, express it, that would help bring healing. He says, it didn't. The assumption was that if they were able to weep, cry, talk, get it all out, that it would purge it away, but we were wrong. Something more was needed. The modern psychoanalytical therapy can take the soul apart, but we cannot put it back together. And then... Uh, Petitus, the Orthodox priest who's focused on this, he said, this emphasis on soul healing, I've found, has to begin with beauty. Even before you unpack the truth of what happened. He said, you must begin with a living vision of a loving and crucified God rather than the autopsy of a broken soul. He says, this is the path to formation and the path to freedom. So how do you do it? How can you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? The ancients you know, had this three little, three uh, Latin words that would kind of rhyme to help you think about how you do it. It's retentio, contemplentio, and delectio. Retentio, retention. The first thing is you have to get it in your mind. You can't gaze upon the beauty of the Lord if you don't know anything about him. 
You have to know him. You have to learn. That's one of the keys to any kid's ministry is we've got to get the truth in them. It's one of the reasons we want to recite and say the Apostles' Creed. It's got to get in you. That was one of the foundations. They would memorize the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. These were the basics. You memorize Apostles' Creed, that shapes, this is what we believe. The Lord's Prayer, this is our hope. This is how we pray. The Ten Commandments, this is how God wants us to live in the world. You, you get it into your mind because the heart can't desire what the mind is utterly ignorant of. So retentio, you have to learn, but then the contemplentio, you contemplate. And this is where to gaze, to look at, to meditate, and that's what produces delight. And that's that next word when it says to inquire of the Lord. It's a hard word to translate. Literally, the word is cowing, to cowing. And when it's talking about cowing, it's talking about what cows do when they're grazing, to graze. That's what it means to meditate. You're just long, leisurely grazing on the truth of who God is and what he's done. You think about it, right, what does it mean to meditate, to graze? You know, one of, the, one of the really fun things about parenthood is you can and terrifying things is you can see yourself reflected in your children in unique uh, ways. And so my man, my man Benjamin, uh, he is a little chatterbox. I mean, there's times where I've thought about just starting the timer once he wakes up and the words start flowing. And so I just want to see how long he can go. I mean, this is impressive. I mean, he will come home and we'll find him at neighbor's house where he's just propped up at their, their bar in their kitchen. And he's talking, he's not playing with the kids. He's talking to the parents. Just, he's processing the day with the dad and talking about work. And I take him to play golf with me. And he knows almost everyone at the golf course now. And he just walks in. He's like, hey, Mr. J, how are you? And they're all, he's friends with everyone. I'm trying to temper it down. I'm like, golf is an introvert sport. We're out here for four hours, but you, you cannot be chattering while we're, we're trying to play. So he's, I mean, he's going, but there's only one time that we've discovered where the mouth is not moving for talking. And he's very much like his father because my man loves pizza. And we will go to Tomasino's or we'll go to Part Pizza or he doesn't discriminate. We'll go to any pizza place in the community and we'll sit it down and he'll start and he'll take a bite and you just, mmm. He's verbal, but it's just, mmm, mmm. Every bite, mmm. 30 solid minutes, mmm. That's meditating. He's meditating. Or you can see other people, you can see it, it's all out in the world. At the, we were at the pool a couple days ago, and these teenagers were spent the entire time at the pool like, and taking pictures. That's meditating. You know, some of you, ladies, you think that there's, some, there's this pair of shoes, and you just continue to think about the smooth leather and the way to make your, like, that's meditating. Or I love it, I'll see a guy after my own heart, and he'll be standing in the line at Walmart, and then you just see him, he's doing this, he's just working on, working on the, the golf motion. That's meditating. It's something we do all of the time. So it fills up our mind. And the Lord said, if you want to encounter and experience my beauty, it comes from meditating. And to honor the late Tim Keller in his book on prayer, which I think is probably one of his best books. You can see it on the back of, uh, on the back of your bulletin insert. There's a whole series of questions where he says, all right, if you want to gaze, if you want to meditate, you just take a passage, because you could like take Psalm 27, and this could be like your pasture, 
and you're going to cow it. You're going to graze. And the way you graze is you just slowly work through these questions. What does this passage show me about God for which I should praise and thank him? What does this text show me about my sin that I should confess and repent of? What false attributes, behaviors, emotions, or idols come alive in me whenever I forget this truth? What does this text show me about a need that I have? What do I need to do or become in light of this? How should I petition God for it? How is Jesus Christ or the grace that I have found in him crucial to helping me overcome the sin I have confessed or to answering the need I have? How would this change my life if I took it seriously? If this truth were fully alive and effective in my inward being? Also, why might God be showing me this, this to me now? What is going on in my life that he would be bringing this to my attention? Those type questions can just help you meditate and graze on, on the word. And so what happens when we experience this? I'll close with this story. It's the English missionary, <clears throat> Alan Gardner, uh, 1851. You know, it's remarkable all across, uh, not just the English-speaking world, but all across the world in New York, in Ireland, in multiple places uh, throughout the world. In 1859 was really extraordinary revivals. But there were so many sacrifices that were laid uh, as preludes to that, that stories have just gotten forgotten. You know, there are certain characters in those revivals that are heralded. But Alan Gardner uh, was on a team to South America to start a new missionary, sent to South America to start a new mission. And uh, they were shipwrecked off one of the remote islands. He and, he and his companions tried as best they could uh, to stay alive in the hopes that somebody uh, would come find them. But nobody did. And eventually the whole team uh, died. You know, far away from home, far away from everybody, didn't even make it to the mission that they had been planning and praying and seeking for. And it was a, a terrible way uh, to die. But several years later, when they were finally discovered and his body was found right next to him, he was clenching, he was holding his little journal, his little notebook, his quiet time uh, notebook. And they opened it up to the very last page the last entry in there was from Psalm 34:10, and he had written down, "The young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall lack no good thing." And then right under that verse, it read this: "I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God." See, here's somebody, and he had lost everything in life, and somehow he maintained the one thing that could bring him into the presence of the Lord. And you just read that and you say, how could this happen? You know, so, oh, he, he died with the overwhelming sense of the goodness of God? Wouldn't he be angry? Wouldn't he be mad at God? Wouldn't he be scared? He had grasped that one thing. And so the question for you this morning is, have you? Do you know it? Do you seek it? How do you get it? You know, we seek after the beauty of the Lord, you know, when the realities of life is that all flowers fade, all beauty fades. And we wonder, is there a beauty that can last through any situation or any circumstance? Is there a beauty that you can be captured by that you then can't lose? You know, what David had is David only had a shadow. 
All he knew is there's something about the sanctuary where the altar is. And there's something about the ark where the presence of, of the Lord is. There's something about these two places that point me to what my soul deepest, the deepest need of my soul. And there's a tension running through all of David's psalms because on the one hand, he cries out to God like that baby, don't turn your face from me. But then he also says, please hide your face from my sin. So how can both of these things happen? How can God turn his face from David's sin but not turn his face from David himself? And it's because on the cross, the father turned his face from his son to bear the penalty of our sins so that he could not have to, in faith, when we come to him, he can turn his face towards us. And so what that means is in that light as forgiven sinners, we can have a heart that's restored and we can turn our face back to the Lord and has his face shine down upon us. And a buddy of mine was talking about a little catechism they do with their teenagers in their church that I loved. And we're just going to steal it and spread it as far and wide as we can. But they have them ask, they have this question where they say, uh, they ask them, who does the Holy Spirit say you are? I am one who's washed and cleaned. Who does Jesus say that you are? I'm one who's forgiven and righteous. Who does God the Father say you are? I am his adopted child. Who are you? I am a sinner saved by his grace. And by that grace, it means his face can shine upon us. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the blood, celebrates the pathway that paid the price so his face can shine. And the bread, one of the symbolisms of the bread is that we can come into his presence. See, what David knew is in the tabernacle, every single day, the priest would go in and there was a table. There was a table that had a menorah, which was a lamp, sevenfold lamps to represent the fullness of the presence of God, his sevenfold spirit. And it was shining. They would trim the lamp to shine down on the table. And on the table were 12 loaves of bread that were break fresh every single day and they represented the people. And so the blood of the sacrifice was shed so that now the light of God's face can shine down on his people and they can fellowship together. So when we eat, when we take the bread, that's a symbolism that in Christ God's face now shines upon us. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you, but it also represents your body together. And the blood represents, my, uh, the, the wine represents my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We'll have three stations, two in the front, one in the back, a gluten-free station there in the back. If you need that, you can go there. Once our servers are in place, you come.